Now, tonight we're actually looking at part two of the prologue of John's gospel. We've been looking in the last number of weeks at the doctrine of the Trinity, the triunity of God, how God exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet one being. It's something that boggles our mind when it comes to think of it. And it's not something that is just purely academic, purely, um, well, that's nice to know. And I know it's a very important truth and we shouldn't question it. That's not the idea of understanding the Trinity. To, to know God is eternal life and to know everything that we can know about him and to know how he has revealed himself to us. And he's revealed himself to us in his full expression of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we've been looking in more detail just in the first part of John's gospel, not to try to build um, a big, huge theological argument for who God is, but digging in right to the first 18 verses of John's gospel to understand who God is and how he has revealed himself. And really um, the full expression of that came when Jesus Christ came into this world, took on flesh and then we have here in Scripture a description of, of really what took place, how God has entered his own creation, how he has ordained that salvation and redemption was going to take place, and how it was necessary and perfectly in keeping with who God is in his essence. Now, as a reminder to us, the very top of your page has John 20, verse 30 to 31. And I, I put this verse here so we would not... Um, we would not forget why exactly John wrote his gospel. Uh, he wrote it so that we might believe. Well, let's read that. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so this is why we are um, studying the Gospel of John. This is why we are looking at the doctrine of the Trinity, that we might have life uh, and not just you know, there's a future life, like a guarantee, like we got our fire insurance, but that we might have a joy-filled life, a life full of meaning and purpose and significance and, and satisfaction as we consider God and who He is. So what I'm going to do is we're going to read again from the Gospel of John, the first 18 verses. And then tonight we're going to look at, if you look at your sheet, there's nine different things about the Word that we're going to continue looking at tonight. Last week we looked at verse number one. We spent the whole evening looking at verse number one. And now tonight we're going to go through the other 17 verses. But let's read that together. It says this, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. 
But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So last week we looked at why John would even talk about the word. Why does he use this seemingly confusing language about the word being with God, the word being was God? What's the significance of him using the word word, the term word? And so we saw last week that the Greek term for word, logos, is really um, was used in Greek philosophy as a description of the, the, this essence, this force, this power that has created the world. And so they, they did not view the Logos, the word, as, as, a, as a personal being, as being the one creator God that you could relate to, but just this force, this impersonal force that they conceived of in their philosophy as they had tried to reason their way toward God. And so here John uses that same term from Greek philosophy, yet... He gives the true meaning, almost like Paul in Athens when he comes to that unknown God. And he says, now what you worship as unknown, I declare to you. And he tells them rightly about who God is, truly. And here John in his gospel, again, sets the record straight about who is the creator and who is this Christ, this Jesus who came and dwelt among us. And so last week we looked at the very first verse. And there were three things that we saw last week. So near the bottom of page number one, three things that we saw last week from the very first verse. The word is eternal. The word is relational, personal. The word was with God, speaking of a relationship between the Father and Son. And then third, the word is divine. And we see, we saw last week, went into quite a lot of detail to understand that Christ, the Son of God, shares the essence, the nature of, of God. And yet we see distinctions there. We see that the word was with God, and yet he he was God of the nature, the quality, the characteristics of God. Now verse number two shares the same thing as we saw in verse one. Verse number two says he was in the beginning with God. Again, speaking of, of the eternal nature of the Son. He did not come into being, but rather he was in the beginning with God. Now we're going to look at nine different points tonight. We're going to look at most of these quite quickly. Some of these we'll stop, uh, look at a bit more detail. We'll get through these lists here tonight. First one, bottom page one. The Word is the Creator. The Word is the Creator. Verse number three says it this way. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. 
Now, when we looked at this, at the, we started in verse number one last week, we saw that in the beginning was the word. It almost sounded like he's talking about Genesis one. And what's so interesting as we go through the prologue of John tonight, and as you, as you see it unfold, John again is retelling the story of creation. So in the beginning, instead of God created the heavens and the earth, he has, in the beginning was the word. And now in verse three, the word has created all things. And I don't know how you can say it more clearly, but nothing was made. Not a single thing was made apart from the word. That is, the word is eternal. You know, the son of God is eternal. You don't need a degree in rocket science or brain surgery to recognize that all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Okay, so in verse one, it says the word was with God. Verse two says that in, he was in the beginning uh, was with God. Never does it say that the Son was created or came into being. He just was. In the beginning, God and the Word were there. He never uses this term became or created ever in Scripture when referring to the Son. He always just was. He was with God in the beginning. He was not created. In fact, He is the creator of all things. Okay, and what does all things mean here. He, he specifies it again quite clearly. Without him was not anything made that was made. Now some, like we talked last week, the Jehovah's Witness that tried to translate the very first verse of saying that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was a God, little g, God. And the reason why they do that is because they don't believe that Jesus Christ was God in human flesh. And so they figure if they change verse number one, that that would just satisfy the problems. But that problem is not satisfied because as soon as you get to verse three, we find out that the word has created all things and nothing was made apart from him and his actions. And so they, they cannot claim that, you know, he was the first created being. There's, there's nothing in this text which would suggest that. There is no clearer way that John and the scripture could clearly specify who created all things. Speaking here about Christ. He is uncreated and he has created all things. Look at verse number 10. Verse number 10, it says, he was in the world and the world was made through him. So again, repeating the same idea that he is the creator. And this is not something that's unique here to the Gospel of John, I have Hebrews 1, 1 to 3 on your sheets. It says, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Now listen to this. Through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Christ is the creator. Uh, Colossians 1.16, I don't have it uh, written. Actually, I do have it written down. Colossians 1.16, top of page two. It says, for by him, by Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Again, you can't say it more clearly. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, it says there that Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. 
And then Psalm 33, 6 says this, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. And again, using that term, the word of the Lord, and here John expounds it in his gospel, speaking of Christ being the creator. Okay? So we see the word is the creator. Number two, the word is life. Verse number four says this, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Okay, so we still have images of that creation that we read in Genesis 1 on our minds. In the beginning was the Word, and now we here we have the Word who's created all things, and now here is the Word, the light, the life of all men, and we were reminded of themes back in Genesis 1. You know, when God said, let there be light, and there was light, and this light has now come into the darkness to give light to His creation, and here we see Christ being that light. Um... Now, it's not here, stated here, and it's not meant to imply that this light or this life was breathed into him, but rather this light and this life originates from him. It comes from him. He is the light. He is purity, uprightness, righteousness. All of these things proceed from Christ. Now, we're going to talk more about light as we go on. So let's go to number three. Number three. The word is light that conquers the darkness or overcomes the darkness. Okay, the word is that light that overcomes the darkness. It says in verse five, the light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then verse nine, the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Okay, this this creator, the God who has made all things, the son, the eternal son, he is life. He is light. And again, here we see as the prologue of John continues and as the retelling of creation continues, he's now talking about the darkness that has come into this world and referring back to Genesis 3 when we see sin come into this world. And we see sin come into this world. We see a great cloud of darkness and wickedness and evil come upon this whole world and we see it world and we see it pervading even our own hearts where we're so filled of hatred, envy, strife, sexual immorality, greed, drunkenness and all these viceless that are in scripture comes and proceeds from the human heart. And so we see a great darkness that comes upon the world. And yet it speaks here of Christ as this light shining in darkness. The darkness has not overcome the light. Second Corinthians 4, 6 says this. For God who said, and again referring back to the Genesis account. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is how the light conquers the darkness. By the light of God being shone into our hearts such that we see Christ, we see him for who he is as this exalted savior, this redeeming Lord, and we come to him and we embrace him as our savior. And so we see him here as the light coming into the world that overcomes the darkness and he does so by the new birth by reversing the effects of the fall and by giving us redemption and forgiveness. Number four, the fourth thing about the word as we continue. Uh, we're skipping a few verses to talk about John the Baptist. We're going to get down to verse number 10 and see 
Point number four, that the word was rejected. Okay, as he tells here the story of creation, the story of sin entering the world, and here the story of redemption where the son is rejected. Verses 10 and 11 say this. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Okay, so here we have the light who has created this world. We have the eternal creator and he comes to his own. He comes to his own people who had the oracles of God and yet they reject him. And Isaiah 53, 3 says this, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Okay, so we see sin entering the world and we see the light coming into the world and yet he was not received. He was rejected and he was rejected by his own people, the ones who had the word of God, the very oracles of God. Not only did they reject him, but rather on that last day of Jesus' life, they chanted, crucify him, crucify him, wanting him gone and saying, yes, we'll take his blood on our hands. They wanted him crucified. Now, you might be wondering, well, how is that the light conquering the darkness? How, how is that when it says here that the light has come into the world and the darkness has not overcome it, yet he, then he talks about how he was rejected? What is he talking about here? How does that work? Where is the power of Christ? We see that in the next verses. In point number five, the word gives eternal life. Okay, point number five, the word gives, the word gives eternal life. So right after saying that the word was rejected, he then says in verse 12 and 13 this, but, uh, that, that small little word that God loves to use, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay, so as here we have Jesus being rejected, despised, not esteemed, they chanted, crucify him. We have at the beginning of verse 12, but, but to all who did receive him. Here is how the light overcomes the darkness. For all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, if the son of God is not truly God in human flesh, what right does he have to bring people in to be children of God? who have rejected him. But yet he exercises that right as the eternal God, as the creator of all. He gives those who believe in him the right to become children of God. Only God, only the Christ, the living word, has such authority. Now he also explains how does he do that? How does a people go from rejecting him to some who believe in his name, to some who did receive him? Well, he says in verse 13, those who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That is the reason why some have received him was because they have been born of God. 
Okay, he said it's not a product of their blood, that is their lineage. It's not that they were sons or daughters of Abraham. It's not because of their race or ethnicity. It's not a product of their own will. It's not a product of the will of another. It is the product of God and the new birth. They were born of God. Okay, that was how the light come into this world. And in John chapter 3, when Jesus talks to Nicodemus, you know, Nicodemus goes to him in the cover of night and talks to him. And Jesus says something quite strange to him. He tells Nicodemus that no one can be, uh, or no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again or born from above. And in fact, he says it even more strongly in John 3, 3, that he says no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And this is the same thing that John is talking about here in verse number 13. How, how did some go from rejecting, having their hearts darkened by the weight of sin, by that cloud of unrighteousness that entered this world in creation and the fall of Adam and Eve? How did they come to believe in him and to receive him and be made children of God? Well, it's because they've been born of God, the light has shone into their hearts. And if you look again um, at 2 Corinthians 4, 6, just up earlier on your page, you read it before, but this is how God did it. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that is just like God said in the beginning, let there be light and there was light. He takes our hardened hearts that are blackened with sin and he says, let there be light. And we see now the beauties of Christ. We see now our need. We see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We see how beautiful of savor he is. The veil is removed. And so as we look at this verse, it makes perfect sense because what comes first, light or sight? Obviously, the light comes first. Without light, you can't see anything. If this world is covered in darkness, you cannot see, but rather the light of the world, the word comes in and he shines the light in our hearts such that we see him rightly and we see Christ as the glory of God. This is how God rescues. This is how he saves. This is how the light overcame the darkness through the new birth in our hearts. He says to us, let there be light and we are born again. We see new realities. We see the glory of God. We see our need for Christ. And we freely and willingly let go of our sin and cling to Christ. Okay, His grace overcomes all resistance and rejection and he conquers. He overcomes. Okay, In verse 16, it says, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. This is a wonderful gift from our wonderful Savior to shine the light of Christ into our hearts. Number six. Okay, so number five, the Word gives eternal life. Number six, the Word became flesh. Verse 14 says this, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay, here's the first time that this Word became is mentioned along with the Word. Not that he became into being, but rather he became flesh. He took on humanity. Okay, it speaks here of the incarnation. Christ, the Son of God, taking on human flesh. Okay, he did not cease to be God. He did not give up his deity. He did not give up his divine attributes. But rather, he humbled himself by adding to himself humanity. 
Okay, he veiled his glory by taking on human form, by taking on a human nature. Now, how this all works, how God could enter his creation, how the eternal son of God, the second person of the Trinity, enters in creation and takes on human form and and is fully God and fully man, that boggles our mind. Uh, We cannot wrap our heads around it. But we also can't deny the truth of Scripture as it's clearly laid out here for us. Okay, so the Son here becomes flesh and He comes to give grace. Um, It says in verse 17 that the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So He entered His creation to give grace, to give truth, to overcome the darkness, to bring redemption, to bring reconciliation, to bring us with God, to break the chains and shackles of sin and the bondage that we're under and to set us free to worship God. Okay, He came to meet our greatest need. So the Word became flesh. Number seven. Number seven. The Word is the only Son of the Father. Okay, verse 14, the second half of verse 14. It says, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Okay, so the word came, he took on human flesh, he dwelt among his creation. And it says here that we have seen his glory. We've, we've seen him, we've touched him, we've spoken to him, we've eaten with him, we've, we've witnessed who he is. We've seen the creator of the universe in action around us. And we're here to testify to you what we have seen and heard in the son, this only son from the father. Now, it's in this verse that many translations, and if you have a verse like this memorized, perhaps the term in your head is only begotten son. Uh, We've looked at this previously, and that's why um, in some places the Greek is given here in the second part of this verse. But the Greek term um, monogenes, or or, uh, monogenes, as it's said later in verse 18, really meaning for mono, meaning one, and then genes, meaning uh, genus or kind. And so here it's one of... A kind, the one and only. So the ESV says the only son from the father. And the NIV says the one and only son. And so again, referring to just how special and how unique Jesus Christ is as he comes into the world to conquer the darkness. Number eight. Number eight. The word is the source of grace and truth. Verse 17 says this, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Okay, we've mentioned this uh, previously. For the sake of time, we're not going to spend too much on, on this point. Recognize that when Jesus Christ comes, there's a, there's a, a, a different uh, dynamic going on. We have the introduction, the new covenant. We have this covenant of grace uh, being poured out. We have the work of the Spirit and the new covenant ministry of the Holy Spirit. We have the dividing walls being broken down between Jew and Gentile. And so here he is just reminding us of the difference between that old covenant and this new covenant in Christ. So he's a source of grace and truth. And then number nine, the last one we'll look at tonight. The Word is God 
made manifest. The word is God made manifest. Verse 18 says this. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the father's side, he has made him known. Okay. Now, as I mentioned this briefly, perhaps in, in your translation of the scriptures, it says the only son. Okay, no one has ever seen God, but the only son or the only begotten son who's at the father's side, he has made him known. Um, it's because some, tra- some manuscripts that we have have in their only son, monogenes uh, huios instead of monogenes theos, um, or only God. But uh, the reason why the ESV has it this way is because the earliest uh, manuscripts have it written like this, the only God. And in fact, P66, which is our oldest copy of the Gospel of John, dating back all the way to the 200s, um, has the only God in this text. What he's referring to here is that no one has ever seen God, but the only God, this, this one and only, the, the unique Son of God, who is at the Father's side, as we know he's talking about the Son here, the Word who was with God, the Word was God, this God who's at the Father's side, he has made him known. Okay? Now at this point you have to ask, well, what does he mean here? He says, no one has ever seen God. I thought in the Old Testament, you know, we had Moses who wanted to see God. And God says, okay, I'll, I'll hide you here in the cleft of the rock. And I'm just going to walk by so you can just see my back. Just get a glimpse of me. Because if you look at me, you're going to die because the glory of God and the holiness of God is so overwhelming. I thought Moses saw at least God's back. And what about in Isaiah 6? When Isaiah looks up to the throne room and he has a vision of God and he sees God on his throne, he sees the seraphim around him covering their eyes and covering their feet and flying with two wings. I thought Isaiah saw God. So how can John here say that no one has ever seen God? What he's saying here is not only at the beginning when we have in Genesis 1 that God has created the heavens and the earth and then later we see that really that was done through the instrumentality, through the work of the Son of God. We see also that in the Old Testament, other places where people see God and they see God in a a form or in a shape or in a vision, they're actually seeing the Son. They're seeing the Son of God. So when Moses sees the back of God in the Old Testament, he's looking at the pre-incarnate Christ. When Isaiah looks up into the temple and sees God on his throne, he's looking at Jesus Christ ruling and reigning. And you're like, well, that's a bit extrapolating from that text. You can read John 12. And John 12 tells you, who did Isaiah who I see? And he says he saw the Christ. I think that's uh, John 12 around verse 40 or 42, somewhere around there. I don't have it written down. Um, but Isaiah saw the Son. And so here what John is repeating is that no one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen the Father, but the only God who is at the Father's side, that is the Son, this Word made flesh, He has made Him known. And Jesus Himself taught that. He said, no one's ever seen the Father, but if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. That's what Jesus told His disciples. If you've seen Me, you have seen the Father. He has made Him known. Now, as we consider... This text and just who God is, again, it begins to boggle our minds about Father and Son and Spirit and how this works, how this can't be a contradiction. 
And there comes a point when we consider who God is, when we look at a text like this, where we must just be humble, just to, just to shut our mouths and just to meditate on who God is, not to try to, 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 to twist the scriptures, to try to make it m- more meaningful to us. It is, this just can't be, but rather to submit ourselves to what Christ has said and to what the Word says. And so here this verse demonstrates, again, the mysteries of God, the inner workings of His triunity, and it also demonstrates the complete unity of Father and Son. If you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. No one has ever seen God, but the only God this, this, who's at the Father's side, the Son of God, He has made Him known. We see in Hebrews 1, He's the creator of all things and the exact imprint, the exact expression of His nature. So we see God fully manifested in the Son. And yet we also see distinctions. He says here, no one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. We see distinctions. It is the Son, not the Father, who entered his creation. It is the Son, not the Father, who bore the wrath of God on the cross. It is the Father, not the Son, who poured out his wrath on that day on the cross. Yet Father and Son are never divided. Neither one ceasing to be of very nature God in all of their essence. When we look at the Son, we see the Father. Okay? So we've made it through all nine of these points. We see that the Word, Jesus Christ, is the Creator. He's the life. He's the light. He was rejected, yet He overcomes that rejection. He overcomes sin, and He grants the new birth. We see that He became flesh. He entered into His creation in order to redeem it. He's the only Son of the Father, the unique Son And he's a source of grace and truth, and he is God made manifest to his creation. Now, as we consider this, and as we think about this and ponder this, especially this week, as we, um, no doubt we have have these, these thoughts come to our minds again, what use is this to us? The question we must ask ourselves, do we know him? Do we know the son? Does he know us? Okay, do we have that, that relationship between Father and Son? Has He shone the light into our hearts since we recognize the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? When we look at Christ, we say, yes and amen, I see the glory of God. I see the perfectness of redemption. I see that beautiful promise of forgiveness of sins and it is mine and I've received Him. And I believe that promise that He's given me the right to become children of God. That's the first thing we need to think of. The second thing we need to think of is that we need to be ready to live for Him this week. Whenever you find yourself with your thoughts going astray, your actions going astray this week, consider the Son. Consider Christ. Consider who He is. All of our sinful actions that we do, whether that's things that we do with our hands, with our eyes, whether that's things we say with our mouth, um, all of our sinful actions and expressions begin in the thoughts. Before our sin becomes something that we do, it first becomes something that we think. It's a temptation. It's a thought. It's an impulse in our mind. And it's in that point where we need to be killing sin. And how can we kill sin? How can we overcome the temptations to do the things that we know are wrong? It's to consider Christ. Consider who He is. And so this week, make that a a spiritual exercise, a discipline. 
When you find yourself being tempted, when you find yourself in the aloneness of your thoughts, in the quietness of your thoughts, with your mind drifting to something that is not right, consider Christ, the eternal Son who has overcome the darkness, who is the light of the world, who is the light of your heart, who has shed the light of the glory of God inside of you, such that you are now a child of God. Let that thought destroy sin before sin destroys you. And I know that that is going to be helpful as we consider the gospel, we consider the person of Christ, as we seek to battle sin and glorify God this week. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for your word that has revealed to us so perfectly and so in so much detail who exactly Christ is. Who exactly is this son who has come into his own creation, who was rejected? And we recognize in our own nature that we would say no, that we would reject, um, that we would not want Christ, but rather it is the light of Christ that has overcome the darkness and overcome the rejection that is in our own hearts. And he has shined the light such that we now have sight and we can see the beauty and the glory of Christ. Oh God, I pray that this light would not grow dim throughout this coming week. I pray that as we contemplate decisions and other things that we are engaged in this week, that the knowledge of Christ would be powerful, that we would reconcile ourselves dead to sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ, that we would see His glory, that we would see His person, we'd recognize Him as the creator of all this life-giving spirit, and we would say no to sin because we have something so much greater in this eternal Son, the Word made flesh and dwelt among us who brought redemption and brought adoption, the right that we might become children of God. Oh God, may these truths mold and shape us to look more and more like Jesus Christ. God, work powerfully in our hearts this week, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.